If you're not prepared to stick with people once they don't work there anymore, then don't treat them like they're family when they do. Like that's just not fair. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. And our guest today is Joy Vetterline. Joy, welcome to the show. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. I'm excited we got to connect. Thank you for saying yes and joining us. Yeah, of course. It's always fun to talk shop when church is your shop. (laughs) So, Joy, before we dive into our conversation, can you tell our listeners a bit about who you are and some of the work that you do? Yes. So I call myself a pastor of Christian Misfits of the Internet. I was in vocational ministry for almost 15 years, um, but now I work to serve uh, the people of the Internet, uh, who I call Christian Misfits, people who love Jesus, who are interested in their spirituality, who want to grow. But for whatever reason, be it hurt through the church, through their own deconstruction, through any myriad of reasons, um, just can't access the church right now. They don't connect with church right now. They don't fit in. They don't want to be part of that. It's not a healthy place. And those people need spirituality too. Those people need um, encouragement and resources. And so that is, that is who I serve. And I, I absolutely love it. That's fantastic. Now, going off of some of what you were just saying, some people don't feel comfortable with churches and Some of that is due to the people within the building. Sometimes it's due to the people who are employed by the building. And that's sort of what we're going to be discussing today, church staffs. Now, many people are involved in church productions from lead pastors, executive pastors, worship ministry, children's admin, IT and design finance. It's all necessary into pulling off a weekly service. Talk to me a little bit about the type of people that you've noticed in your experience that are in these positions? Are there common themes and personalities that you see employed at these places? So, yeah, I would say um, in churches, there tends to be a distinction between what in, in my experience in churches has been sort of a support staff um, so these would be things like admin assistants, people who do finances, the people who sort of like do the work. Um, so there's a support staff, but then there's also a leadership staff. So I would say in the support staff, you see a really wide variety of skills and talents. Um, but I think where you start seeing things more um, sort of uh, more homogenous is when you start looking at who is hired to be in leadership of churches, those leadership positions. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of the biggest reasons I think is that, especially in pastoral roles, the the role of a pastor has become just an extremely high pressure position. There are a lot of skills required in order to even get a job, especially as a senior pastor, but even in some bigger churches, some of the other pastors, you're expected to um, be a good teacher, which means, you know, you have an education, you know how to study, you know how to put together some sort of talk and deliver it well with 
um, some amount of charisma and interest on stage. You are expected to be really good at, you know, recruiting volunteers and then leading and discipling those teams of volunteers, training them, you know, leading those people through those things. And then you're just supposed to be like a real shepherd, somebody who like, oh, this person is in the hospital. Let me go sit by their side and pray with them. There's this enormous amount of um, expectation placed on a pastor. And, and from what I see, uh, I'm not a social scientist. I haven't run the uh, surveys on this, but from what I see, there's really only a few personality types that can handle that kind of pressure and that kind of expectation for uh, a long period of time. And I think those are people who we would see sort of as more of a typical CEO kind of personality, um, more of an Enneagram three, if you know what that means, um, or an eight people who are driven, they're extroverted, they are, um, they can stand up in front of a room, be large and in charge where they go, people want to follow just like that, that kind of like bigger than life type of personality that says, Hey, I'm going somewhere like amazing. And you all should come with me. And the kind of person that people hear that and go like, yeah, I want to go. That, that really is like the only kind of person I have seen that can handle being um, in this evangelical mega church model kind of leadership and thrive in any capacity. Now, a follow-up to that, do you think that that's because that's what the role demands or that's how we've set it up? Ooh, that's a good question. Like a chicken or egg. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, see, you, you see where I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is definitely, I think it's cyclical and I think that means it's a cultural thing. I think that um, church has played into, or I guess, I think that a one way that we have, adapted especially in america um, we have this celebrity culture so we're really drawn to like oh who's this attractive talented person we want to like we want to be close to that person and if i do you know what they say i should do maybe i'll be closer to them there's like, there's like a little bit of that at play yeah i think it's both i think there's expectations of that that we have put in on that role and so that's who we hire um I also think there's this weird thing. This is, this is another theory I have. Um, because that is the type of person that thrives in that setting, you know, over the 90s and early 2000s, as we really saw mega churches born, I guess even earlier than that with like uh, Willow Creek and Saddleback, these huge churches were formed and they were so successful um, that everybody started like paying attention to what they were doing. And you have things like the Willow Creek has a leadership summit. You have like Catalyst now leadership. So you get all of these like church leadership conferences where people who've been successful in, you know, big churches at growing churches come together and they teach other people how to do the same. And so I think that that's contributed just to the spread of this almost becoming like sort of like the best practice of here's how you set up a church. You need a leader like this and that leader needs to go learn how to be a good leader from other leaders who are like this. And it kind of has become what I think is a bit of an echo chamber in terms of like this one kind of leader is the one teaching other people how to be leaders. And that's making other people and other churches want leaders like that. And so I think we've lost a lot of 
of the diversity that might have existed before in, you know, when churches were just kind of like, hey, we're a neighborhood church. We're doing our own thing with based on the gifts and skills of the people we have inside us. Uh, and I think that affects ends up affecting discipleship, too. I do want to come back to it's a very interesting thought but let me ask you this first what is this then model for the quieter leaders for people who are not yeah. as demonstrative not as uh, enneagram three as you said what about the, yeah. the twos who are more about helping and the, yeah. the ones who see it totally different yeah well this was my experience i i'm an enneagram four i'm an introvert i'm also a woman but i did hold the role of pastor in a church context and um i quickly discovered that there was a lot of expectations for me to lead in a certain way that um that it was expected that i could stand up on stage and teach people well or that i could like rally a group of people in an energetic way to come around me. And that's just not who I am. I am more of a relational leader where I build trust with people sort of one-on-one -on -one and it's a slower process. Um, but I, I rally people that way and build connections with people. And then we sort of like go together in a more organic way. Um, and that, that really disappointed a lot of people, both the people that I was serving in the church and the people on staff who hired me, I think, and were like, whoa, your leadership skills are really lacking. And I was like, I'm kind of like, like, were they? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm not a great leader, but, or is it that I'm just different? And I think it, people like me who end up in situations like that, where your livelihood is depending on your ability to perform and to seem like you're a good leader, if leadership is defined in this specific way, it, it means that you are, you have to become someone you're not. You have to pretend to be someone you're not just to keep your job and to prove to everybody that you belong there. And that is so harmful <laughs> to, to a person, to a human. And I think it's so detrimental to the church as well, because it, it robs them of having the experience of, of leaders who are being their authentic selves, who are displaying the diversity of God by having a different personality, by being a quiet leader, by being someone who models like, hey, some of you might want to go out and like be in 12 activities for the church a week. Others of you like might not be in any and that's okay. Like you're still loved by God. You still have a role in this church. It's very interesting. And now circling back to that idea of discipleship. Yeah. Most, most of the church structures, at least in my experience, put discipleship sort of as the midweek less than maybe not less than, but it's definitely the way it is perceived that the main mm -hmm. thing that happens here is Sunday. The next thing that happens is youth group and then everything else. If that's a ministry you want to do, then great, go for it. Mm -hmm. What does that actually say when we have a demonstrative leader, somebody whose vision and uh, uh, personality sort of drive the church what does that say about the way we disciple people? Well, it says a lot about it, Joey, I think. <laughs> I say tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple things that that says one, um, if the if the senior pastor is the most visible person, if they are the ones who most often and are most loudly saying, follow me as I follow Christ, then I think people have 
sort of uh, see that as, you know, their ideal as their goal, like, oh, that's what I should be like. Um, I think the midweek stuff being, as you said, secondary. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many ways I could go with this. We could start talking about the theology of hell and evangelism and how that prioritizes, why that prioritizes Sunday morning. Um, but I think what, what that says in terms of the weekly stuff is that it really does say um, this, if a church make, makes that kind of discipleship stuff secondary, like if you can do this, like definitely come Sunday. And then if you can do this other stuff during the week, like you should, um, but they don't prioritize it financially. They don't prioritize it. Um, they don't resource the people leading those necessarily always very well. And I think that really says a lot about what the church thinks matters. And usually, you know, if, if your money shows where your heart is, then I think it's pretty visible in most churches that the most important thing in churches is what happens on Sunday morning. And it's interesting that we almost idolize and reward those with big personalities with that visibility, that mm -hmm. in front of the camera, that up on the pulpit, and yet we, mm -hmm. we sort of dismiss those, almost a Mary and Martha sort of thing, not necessarily to the degree, but the people who are just trying to make the show work, they don't, mm -hmm. get, the, they don't get the recognition that, say, a lead pastor would get. No, or the benefits and perks of that role. And some of that, you know, there's responsibilities that a pastor is holding, but, but yes, continue. Sure. And I was just going to say that just to play devil's advocate. I mean, there, there are natural giftings. Not everybody's a preacher, but there are gifted communicators. There are people who are gifted in shepherding and visitation and counseling and things like that. There, you know, that's not to dismiss all of that, but you know, do we, do we almost idolize it in a way that shelves everybody else mm -hmm. and just yeah. sort of makes it a, a spectator sport? I think so. And here's the thing. It's not that like any one church who's modeling themselves this way is doing it wrong or isn't called that way or is it bad. But if you look at the, the scope of like the number of churches across our country, let's say, who model themselves that way, it's like they're all doing the same thing. They all have a senior pastor. They all have a worship service on Sunday with a worship pastor and five songs and a sermon. Like there's so little diversity um i think this this model that we're talking about where there's a senior pastor there's probably a worship pastor there's probably an executive pastor there's a big sunday morning service that's where the children's stuff maybe there's a midweek youth thing and then discipleship and other ministries sort of happen during the week that's sort of this like sermon centric model of doing church and i think that that model being duplicated all over the country is is what the problem is it's not a problem that a specific church has that it's that every church is doing that and and it's creating an imbalance i think in just america the american christian church the dis discipleship of people all over our country and so i'm actually really interested in you know church models that sort of break that up that say you know let's not have um just one sunday service that like that's 
taking all of our resources. It's an incredibly expensive way of doing church from the AV to the, you know, hiring someone who's qualified to preach to, you know, having a room big enough, keeping that room cool during the summer, um, you know, hiring all the children's staff that you need to watch the kids so the parents can go watch the room. Uh, the service, having a parking lot big enough for everybody. Like that's just an incredibly way, expensive way of doing a church that we're basically funding like with a tip jar in the corner. And so I really appreciate other churches and networks who are modeling other ways to do this because I think that allows not only for a, a, a different way of doing church, but a different, a broader expression of all the people of God um, doing ministry, what we would call the priesthood of all believers. So. Uh, there is a, um, there's a, a group in Tampa, the Tampa underground. And I just, I love what they're doing there. They have basically done this. They've rejected this Sunday centric model of doing church. They don't have a huge building. They don't worry about having enough parking. They don't have, um, you know, they don't have to spend the money on putting on a show every week. Their whole mission is to empower people to do the ministry that they are called to. So the people of the church, not even the ministers, the people of the church are the ones who are empowered to do ministry. So they create these, I think they call them micro churches, and it's centered around what people are called to. So if you're called to um, help with the homeless community, they you you know you join that micro church, or maybe you're really passionate about fighting an opioid epidemic and you join that microchurch and then the, the resources of the church go to funding those ministries. And I, when I first heard about that, I just, it just made so much sense to me as opposed to a church putting their entirety of their resources into one hour on Sunday, both financially and, and human resources. There's just such a, limited opportunity for ministry for the people of the church um, and the leadership of the church in that model. Right. And and one of the things I wanted to follow up with, you, you had just talked about finances, and I think a lot of people struggle with the financial aspect of what we call church today. Let me just ask you a personal question. You've been mm -hmm. on church staff. I'm on a church staff. Should churches even pay staff? I mean, that's a very difficult concept that a lot of people wrestle with. The way I grew up, we didn't have a paid staff. It was just, you know, you came in and you tithed to the building for the ministries mm -hmm. that were there, but there was no pastor. There was there was men who would get up every week. And, and there's a lot of churches that function like that. Do you have a problem with the way that church sort of runs like a business with employees? Oh, that's a really good question. I kind of go back and forth. On the one hand, I I do believe that if someone's like doing work, um, that they should be paid for it. So it's sort of like, if you're going to model your church this way, where you have this much work for someone to do, and you want specific people who are skilled in that way to do it, I absolutely think those people should be paid. But do I think that ultimately that style of church is going to bear the most fruit? That I don't know. Um, there's a church near me. Vox Community Church out here in California, and they have no paid staff. They are completely volunteer run and they are having the best time because truly everybody who's there is there because they want to be there. They, they're, they call themselves a scrappy little community. You know, they're, they are free 
to question anything they want to. They're free to do whatever they want to. And I think that's the thing about money that becomes really tricky for anybody who's employed by ministries because money, it provides, but it also comes with strings. And I know for myself, um, you know, our, our, not only was I making an income, but that was how we were getting our medical benefits. And I had the kids in the preschool there, you know, there was a lot of financial benefits to that. And when I started having questions about my faith, when I started sort of like, I didn't even have a, I didn't know deconstructing was a word, except that I was starting to have questions that I knew if I said out loud would get me into trouble. Um, it became really, really tricky because it was like, I can't ask this. I can't afford to change my mind about anything. And that I think is where, where it gets really um, dangerous. The connection between money and employment is that it doesn't give anybody a chance to grow or change while they're working for a church. Now, shifting gears just a little bit, there's another piece of the staffing issue, and it's the on and offboarding process. Maybe within your own experience, but also what you've seen, what has been the tone, the environment, the, the engagement when someone gets hired within the church? Yeah, so that, again, is sort of a difference between support staff and leadership positions. So um, the support staff, it's pretty similar to you know, getting any other job. You, know, you go through an interview process and, you know, you meet your team or whatever, and they might give you a tour around the office. Um, but for the most part, you just, it's like getting hired by any company, except that you're also signing a statement of faith and agreeing to go to church there every Sunday. I think in the leadership positions is where it gets really different. You know, we talk in churches about the, the sort of like dualistic nature of being an organism and an organization if you've heard that language. Um, so I think when, when a, a leadership position, a pastor say is hired, you know, the higher up the, they go, um, the bigger a deal it is. And it, it really is more of that organism. So there's often a lot of family language used, like, oh, we're so glad to have like, to welcome you into our church family. If you haven't already been in the church, like we're so excited for, you know, what God's going to do through you here. We're so thankful he's brought you to us. Um, let's, you know, bring your whole family out to candidate. Let's have all of our families come and meet your family at a, a potluck or a barbecue, just so we can get to know you. Um, you know, and if, uh, let's, let's bring your whole family on stage when we offer you the job and have a celebration because of God's faithfulness and providing this person for us. Um, and it's, I've even heard a church I worked at before I was there they would get down on one knee and propose to like a candidating pastor to offer them the job as if it was like this commitment, like we're marrying you, like, let's do this. So it's very organism, like we're all in this together, family kind of language. And that works as long as you're there. Uh huh. But what happens when a person quits to 
due to personal changes in belief values, people start deconstructing or, or hell, they even get a better job. Mm-hmm. What is the tone like then? Is it the exact same uh, honeymoon phase where there's a proposal or are you dead to us and just get out? Yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's like, then it switches very much to this as an organization. So whether a person quits or whether they're, um, you know, where their positions terminated, you know, either they're fired or there's been a restructuring and there's no longer needed, then it becomes suddenly like your family's not part of it. It's just you in a room, you like you in an office with the HR rep, you're signing contracts, you know, um, I was, I was restructured out of my pastoral job and it was like, I got called in to the pastor's office and the HR rep was sitting there and I was like, well, this isn't good. <laughs> and I, they're like, you know, we, um, we have, we need to restructure the team and like, today's your last day and here's a box. And I had to go pack up my office. And it was like the, the difference between the fanfare of when I was hired and the, the bureaucracy of when I was let go, it was, it, it was excruciatingly painful for me. I know I'm not the only one who's experienced this, but it gets very, um, yeah, it gets very technical. I know people who have, um, been let go and had their severance, uh, you know, that you're getting let go or whatever, you're signing all your paperwork, but, um, sometimes people have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and it's almost if, like, if they don't sign that, they don't get their severance. And this is from a church. So it's like, what happened to like, I'm part of your family. Now it's like, well, like I'm just an employee. So yeah, what I say is like, they hire you like family and they fire you like an employee. And it, that different, that shift, um, it's incredibly painful. I think that's probably what people who have been in ministry, who have been hurt in ministry, in ministry, I think they would probably know what I'm talking about really well. Um, because that makes you realize like, oh, you, you weren't actually my family. You were my family. You did see me as a value while I was here doing something for you. But now that for whatever reason I've quit or I've shifted gears, like now you don't value me as a person anymore. You only appreciated me for what I had to offer to this like thing that you're building to this vision, the senior pastor was going. Um, and that's, that's a really hard pill to swallow and a really long process of healing. Yeah. And speaking from personal experience, you know, being valued for what you do, but not for how you think, how you see things, the way that you would do things, especially as a leader. And then once that tie is cut to never be reached out to, to, you know, basically as though you didn't exist. Yeah. Um, no, you know, with an, with another company, you would sort of say, okay, it's just part of business, but right. why does it sting more with church? Well, I think with church, this is the thing, like I, I referenced before is that there's usually an agreement that you have to attend the church. And when I've been in ministry, there's been an expectation that, um, my family makes the church, our community. So my kids are expected to go to the stuff. Um, my husband's expected to be in ministry. Like I've had pastors uh, look at what everybody's giving on staff and let us know that we're not giving enough. So we're all making financial commitments to the church out of what we're making from the church. And it's like, there's this, it becomes our family. 
And like, we believed them when they said we were family, we believed them. And so we made it our family, we made it our community. And so for them that to shift and to get fired, I think one of the hardest parts is like, okay, yeah, I can see that all along this was a job, but for so many people, it's the loss of the community. That's truly like just the, the, the hurt that keeps going where for all of these people that we may, became family with, like once it got complicated, they stopped reaching out. Like they couldn't handle the tension of us being hurt by a place that they're invested in. And so we just lost. I mean, we might, I don't know about you, but my family, like it felt like we lost everything. Like we lost my, I lost my job. It felt like I lost my calling and some identity, which ended up being a good thing because I had it unhealthily tied up in there. But but we lost everybody. You know, we lost the the meal train when, you know, somebody gets sick and we need food. It's like, um, yeah, it, it's I, I just kind of want to say that you're just like, if you're not if you're not prepared to stick with people once they don't work there anymore, then don't treat them like their family when they do like that's just not fair it's not fair to people like don't put expectations on their personal lives if you're not prepared to be a part of their personal lives after they don't work here anymore yeah it's powerful and joy as we wrap up our time you know we we've sort of called out all the things that churches have flaws with things Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily do well with all Mm -hmm. of these church staffs, if you were going to suggest one way forward for the church, maybe a more healthy approach to people who work there, whether that's, you know, how we are treated while there, some of the ministry and day-to-day activities, or even just the people and the the personality traits that we put in these positions, what do you think that that would be? Mm, Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, a lot of the flaws, which, you know, are so easy to point out. And I, I don't want to be someone who's only pointing fingers. Like I do want to be someone who fights for, for hope and restoration. But I think a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, the health and well-being of the people at the top. I think it matters who's on your board and who they pick. I think it matters who's in those senior um, senior leadership positions. And I think the health, the emotional well-being of the people in those positions says a lot about the experience of the people underneath them. Like, is, is your pastor now or have they ever been in therapy? If not, that to me is an indicator that there's going to be, there's not a um, appreciation for how humans operate in a variety of stressful positions because they haven't valued that for themselves. Um, I think, yeah, like if a church is looking for like, what can we do to provide for our staff? I think like pay for therapy for your staff. Like if everybody can get healthy and develop an ability to know when they need to set a boundary. If there's a, a, a welcoming sense of like, hey, this is a boundary for me. I'm an introvert. Like I can't be out five nights a week. And for that not to be 
something you can get fired over because you're not willing to do the work of your job because the people who hired you understand that you're a human who cannot work five nights a week. Like, I think there's just, there's just this, uh, this urgency to grow. And I think this, this comes from our, our theology of hell, our fear of people going there, our, the urgency we feel to save people from hell. And so we have to grow. We have to keep finding people and bringing them in. Um, I think it all, you know, comes down to theology, but that, that sense that can crush how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of the people we're doing ministry with. Like at the end of the day, if the people doing the ministry that Jesus has called to, to aren't being treated the way Jesus would treat them and aren't um, feeling the peace that Jesus offers by knowing when they can take a break and take a vacation and rest, then what are we even doing? Those are great thoughts, Joy. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show. If people wanted to connect with you, had some questions, wanted to follow up, find you online, how could they do that? Yeah. Well, thanks, Joey, for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan and I am honored to get to share with you. So thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, I am on all the usual places, Instagram at Joy Vetterline. I have a website at Joy Vetterline. Um, I provide a, uh, because I surf people who maybe don't want to go to church right now, I do something called Sunday Soul Care. It's an email I send out every Sunday um, that just has some unconventional spiritualities, a thought, a question, a prayer, some jokes and stuff. Um, so that I have a lot of fun writing. I send that out every week. You can sign up for that on my website. Um, but then I also have uh, just some resources and support for people who are where what we've talked about today, who maybe are in vocational ministry and are struggling with some of these things we've talked about, who are starting to deconstruct, but they're trapped because this is their livelihood. People who um, have left a church and are are facing that, just that excruciating loss of community. Um, it's a really weird niche to be in and there's not a lot of um, visibility around it. So um, I provide resources for those people too. So you can find that at joyvetterline.com slash ministry. Um, all those resources and, and coaching and various things for people who might find themselves there. Uh, church staff or recently, formerly <laughs> church staff who just need some uh, a listening ear to externally process and figure out you know, where to go from here. That's fantastic. Well, we'll throw all that in the show notes. But again, Joy, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Joey. And that wraps up this episode of Dismantle Podcast. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change.